a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 74 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Hurlman. And with me, like Django Fett's face on every clone trooper, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. And a happy belated birthday, Mark. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I I had a very, very un-birthday un that day. Uh, I got to uh, go down and see the Mad Hatter and a couple other things. We we did one of these park hopper trips when we went down to Disneyland. And, uh, yeah, my birthday was in the middle of all of it. But uh, when we were down there, the Mad Hatter come up. And I, I guess I was gone at the time he first came around. And my wife's like, well, the birthday boy's over there. And he's like, a birthday? I hope it's not catching. And so, of course, when I got back, he was, like, treating me like I had the bubonic plague until he's like, I'm just going to call it an un-birthday. Un and I was like, dude, this guy's awesome. I, I don't know. There's something about Disneyland. Like, I, I was talking with Riley. The first time I went, I was kind of like, meh, I'm going to Disney. Like, I could care less. Then once I'd been there, it was like, dude, we're going back to Disneyland. Like, oh, man, the excitement level was just through the roof. Nice. We had had a conversation going on Facebook for a little bit. Uh, Tom Taylor even chimed in on it. Or no, it, was Tom, it wasn't Tom. It was uh, Chris. Chris Travas chimed in on it. And uh, I don't know why I get those two confused. I guess they're just very active on Facebook. But no, talking about how uh, Celebration and Star Wars weekends are always during the school year or otherwise impossible for me to get to. And sure enough, this year it was the same way. So uh, very unfortunate. Though I do wish... If like we're, we're talking right now about what our honeymoon's going to be, because our thought is that we're going to wait a year, do our so-called honeymoon for our first anniversary, because we need time to save up money. Because right now she's out of work, and we're really kind of kind of scraping by in a lot of ways. Um, the thought was, you know, Disney be a place to go, but unfortunately, Disney World, closer to us in Florida, isn't going to be doing that crazy thing that Disneyland in California is, where you can get those like stormtrooper action figures and have them actually create. And mold the head of the action figure based on your own face. But what? apparently they're going to be doing that in California, not in Florida in the near future. So I was kind of kind of phoned about that. But I still want to go see Star Tours. I'm assuming you went on Star Tours over and over again. I, I did ride it a lot. Uh, my first and last ride was exactly the same, which, which wasn't necessarily bummer for me. That was kind of like poetic. But, uh, you know, I didn't get a lot of differences like i mean i i don't know because i've only wrote it you know this is my first time and i didn't do a lot of research in but every single opening for me was exactly the same we started off in the hangar the stormtroopers were there the rebel or the uh, probe droid come up and latched on when my wife and my daughter wrote it because we had janus we had to do rider swap a lot when they went on it vader was there for them but i never once saw vader and so that scene was always different for me after that, it changed every time I would get something different. I get something a little different each time, but 
that that beginning was always the same. And I don't know if that's the case for all the rides at the very beginning. One is exactly the same for everybody. And then it jumps to the different places, but they, they did a really good job though of mixing the trilogies. Like one time you'd ride it and Yoda would be there talking to you. You know, we've got, you've got the spy. And then another one, it would be Leia and she'd be talking to you. And in that regard, the way they bounce back and forth, it's like you go through the ride and it wasn't quite set in any time frame exactly like it could be anywhere like the way it was before uh but it's it's set more like it's like the prelude too so obviously that's why your prequel stuff would work but i i love the way that they did that and, and of course when you get in and when you're waiting online to before you launch yourself up into the star speeder at the boarding gates they show 3po he takes the pilot seat so the pilot can go out and do checks and stuff because everything's kind of glitching and then of course you watch him get locked inside and so when you go in He's still in there from what you saw on the outside. And so they did a really good job with that, making it work. I know with the last one, I, I believe it was a, a Rex droid or something like that, where he had a, a, a little tag that was supposed to be pulled out that was never pulled out. And that was why he was faulty each time. But I, I really think that the way they did it this time worked a heck of a lot better. Uh, you know, some of the cool things, though, that I was able to do, we were able to do build a droid. Uh, so I made myself a Whistler droid. My son was building a whole bunch of droids. We managed to find uh, Princess Nisha at the very last minute. Got Jaina one of those. Uh, I scored me some some cool Star Wars shirts. I am the Rebel Spy, which, you know, I, I was so close so many times to being the Rebel Spy. My son's like, man, if you'd have been sitting there. And I'm like, buddy, I'm like, that's the decoy. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I am the Rebel Spy. I just got them thinking he's the guy. So if the Empire catches us, they'll take him. And I could still get the info to the Rebellion, of course. My son was just like, that's awesome. I'm like, yeah. Well, you got some pins. I mean, I, I did a lot of really fun stuff. For me, it was Star Wars every day. I had a Star Wars shirt on. Uh, I'd go down there, and I was just – I loved the fact that you didn't have to be in Tomorrowland to see people wearing Star Wars shirts. They were all over. And it wasn't just people wearing the shirts that they bought that day. It was people wearing their – you know, oh, I've wore the heck out of this shirt, but I love it, you know, Star Wars fans there. Uh, you know, I, I got some pictures with some stormtroopers, had a really cool moment when one of the troopers did the old I'm looking at you kind of thing with his hands back and forth. I was like, yeah, I'm putting this on the podcast. Uh, you know, I had a lot of fun overall. It was it was a very good time. I was bummed in the aspect. I'm still on vacation right now, uh, it, which is uh, like the 26th. Yes, 26. And uh, yesterday, supposedly on the 25th, they had all the characters in Stormtrooper gear and their Luke and, and Leia personas and all that. And I was my wife, when she found that out, she's like, I would have extended the trip. I was like, ah. So, so there's a learning aspect on that. Um, I, 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 I admit, I complain a lot about the aspect that there's two different things going on at the two parks. You know, that, that Disney World's got a little different outer thing going on. I did, I was not aware though that Disneyland was going to get the the trooper build. But again, that that's irritating because that's a simple one. You would think that they would offer that in both parks. And I think that's where I'm irritated from the aspect of being over here on the Disneyland side when Disney World gets all the cool weekends and all the cool events. It's like, why aren't you replicating these at both parks? And now we're seeing the opposite. I, I, I don't want the West Coast to be catered to. I want equal for both. I mean, we can't get from one coast to the other. We're not all Jay-Z and Beyonce here. Come on. Yeah, and you don't need presidential approval to go to Disney. Um, No, I think the whole thing for me is I'm waiting for Star Tours or Star Tours 2 to wind up hopefully being a bonus feature, I doubt it, but I can hope still, whenever they finally put out the uh, 3D Blu-ray, I guess, of The Phantom Menace. Who knows if they're ever going to do the 3D conversion for all the films, but now they got The Phantom Menace, hopefully they'll do that as a home release, and if they do, oh. perfect time to have you know that 3D Star Tours thing uh, as 
a bonus feature. Because there's plenty of people who have gone on the ride and made recordings of it you can find on YouTube and whatnot to see what it is. But it's always like, oh, I'm going to vomit as you're trying to watch it because it's got the, you know, it's it's set up so that it's, it only works with the 3D glasses, you know. And I've, yes, I've tried watching it with my 3D glasses on for my 3D TV and it doesn't quite work the way it's supposed to. So well, the other side of that too is is the experience of sitting in that thing and having it move. Like, yeah, I I've watched a lot of those videos myself, but it, it will never take away the sitting in there and having the full simulator experience, man. That's immersive. Yeah, very very true. So it sounds like that was a trip that for the most part met expectations. Uh, I guess that makes a good lead in to this episode. So what is this episode going to be about, Mark? Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we ponder about, well, give or take, ten of the most personally disappointing moments in our EU. Consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go. Yeah, I think the key word here is disappointment. When we started talking about this, there was this sense of, you know, are we just going to kind of make a list of the 10 worst EU stories? Because it seems like we do that a lot. You know, we'll point the, out the ones that are the really bad examples while we're talking about ones that either are approaching that level or are the complete opposite and particularly good and how the good stories do something different from what the bad stories tend to do. So it seemed like it could have been just sort of the same old thing or wound up with a list that was gigantic. Uh, instead, I tried to focus down on what the actual specific term was there that you used, which is disappointing. Something we actually had some decent hopes for that when it finally was released, didn't actually work out being nearly as good as it could have or should have been. And along the way, yeah, I wound up also making kind of a sideline list that we can maybe hit real fast of these stories that weren't a matter of us having high hopes that were disappointing, but ones that just plain friggin' sucked. <laughs> uh, pretty much straight through the ones that are just plain garbage for one reader or or for one reason, excuse me, or another. Though I guess reader would work in there too. <laughs> and for me, I have a hard time in general when it comes to chalking up one entire work as just garbage. So I kind of went with with the moments of stories where okay, the story was going great until this moment, and then things turned for me. Uh, so, so mine are, are a little less more works, but more parts of works and focusing on that. Now, before we jump into things, we'd like to point out that this week's episode, is, as well as next week's, we're inspired by fellow Beyonder, Eli De Silva. Uh, a few weeks back, he wrote, hey guys, I have a suggestion. Maybe you could each make a top 10 or more list of the worst or most disappointing EU stories, be it from any medium, book, comics, games, etc. It could be a single story or a whole series. It'd be great to know what you guys didn't like over the years and why. Also, it'd be fun to listen to fans rant and bash on this kind of things. Maybe you guys might put a, the Crystal Star on your list. Never read it, but from what I heard, it's pretty bad. I couldn't make a very good list seeing as my knowledge of the EU isn't as large. I would maybe put Dark Empire as an honorable mention just because of the amount of plot holes that series had. Cam who? And the excessive use of the word dark and everything. Maybe not the worst, but definitely disappointing. I also want to follow up by giving one more honorable mention. I'm not even sure where you would put this in Star Wars canon, probably in a black hole. But when you think bad Star Wars, one thing always comes to mind. 
the Star Wars Holiday Special. Yes, I know. I vomited in my mouth, too. I just wanted to mention it so no one cops out and puts that as their number one. May the Force be with you, and a happy life day to all. And with that, we shall jump in. Nathan, go ahead and toss one of yours at us. I mean, mine are in no rank. I mean, if yours are, that's awesome, but mine are just kind of, I was... Well, let's roll through this. I was just looking at my books and kind of just jotting down things that I was like, eh, I wish that didn't happen. Yeah, mine are in no particular order here, but I do have 10 major disappointments. And I guess we can start with the ones that most people listening to this show regularly already can kind of expect. Um, then we'll get into the ones that I guess are a little bit more out of left field for those who maybe uh, didn't know I felt this way about them. Uh, we'll start with the one that's probably the most obvious, and that is... Anything Timothy Zahn wrote for Del Rey rather than Bantam, all the way up until but not including Scoundrels. Okay, so we're talking about uh, Timothy Zahn's uh, Survivor's Quest, Outbound Flight, Allegiance, and Choices of One. I loved Timothy Zahn's original Thrawn trilogy, Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and Last Command back in 1991, 92, and 93. Um, I even enjoyed the Heir to the Empire 20th Anniversary Edition with all the little annotations, even though some of the annotations were snarky in a sense, um, to make us say, oh really, Zahn, you really think that way? Like where he talks about how, uh, I like Star Wars because every character can shine. Really? Is that why Mara Jade's a superhero in most of your most recent stuff and everybody else is incompetent? Um, and I did not like the fact that the Heir to the Empire 20th Anniversary Edition had to have that novella in it to make anybody give a crap about what happened in Choices of One, but that's more of another Del Rey era thing, even though the core book was from Bantam. So, love the original Thrawn trilogy. Really like the Hand of Thrawn duology, Spectre of the Past and Vision of the Future in 97 and 98, but then his work started to basically become self-referential um, crap that basically focused on only his own characters, making them out to be the superheroes and everybody else out to be incompetent, um, or they were overindulgent. Stories that maybe fans had wanted for a long time, but instead of being, you know, a 200-300 page novel that it really kind of deserved, it became these giant bloated tomes that just really were too big for what they were trying to do, like Outbound Flight. So I would say Survivor's Quest, Outbound Flight, Allegiance, and Choices of One, they were ungodly disappointing. For some, for somebody that reinvigorated Star Wars and did such a great job in the Bantam era, those books were ungodly disappointing. He, he can write better than that. And fortunately, Scoundrels finally started to rebuild, in a sense, I think, Zahn's reputation as a Star Wars writer, because Scoundrels was actually good. Still not quite Thrawn trilogy level, but certainly leaps and bounds better than the stuff he'd put out between 04 and 11. Well, I guess that means I should probably jump into uh, number five on my list. Uh, for me, it was Scoundrels. I, I was opposite of you in this regard. It made me realize that while I enjoyed the first Thrawn trilogy, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I did. Uh, you know, for me... I actually liked the books that, that you disliked for the reasons that you disliked them. And for me, I was more kind of confused with Scoundrels as I was with the older works. Like, I, I liked Visions of the Past and, and the Future, both of those two. But I also remember being confused as to what in the heck was going on with the the, the Emperor of the Hand, uh, with the Fell family. I mean, there was a lot of confusion there for me. And Scoundrels, to me, was a step back into that direction which you know for you it worked out you liked that but for me it made me realize that there were things about those earlier books 
that I kind of I kind of put on pause the things I didn't like about him and only looked at the things I liked. And it was like, see, this is a shining example of everything's awesome because I totally forgot the things about it that I didn't like, which were the parts that left me confused. Uh, that's what I, I my issue with with those books of Zon is that unless he's doing something that he has done a lot of, I get confused. I have no idea what he's talking about because he doesn't quite describe it in a way that I'm able to catch on and follow. Uh, so for me, that was you know my issue with Scoundrels and my Timothy Zahn moment, uh, which will lead into my other complaint is I, I really have an issue with books that have two authors for the same reason. Um, right now I'm in The Last Jedi, and I'm not going to complain about that book, just the, the style of two authors. And I notice every time I read a book that has two authors, about halfway through the book I start to feel like I'm reading two different stories. And... I feel like, you know, when they put the two authors together, all it's really doing is fluffing the book up, but you'd be better off just separating these two books and having two books that felt like two real books instead of two books trying to be one to make better sales or to to stop fans from being like, hey, this book is only 129 pages. I've been there, I understand, but at the same time, I don't think I like two authors trying to fluff a book up to 560 pages or more when really we should have two separate books because that back and forth, it, it loses me as a reader. See, I personally don't have an issue with the multiple uh, authors thing. I usually can't see a difference stylistically when I go through and read a book that's by more than one. I think that goes back as far as like Young Jedi Knights with Kevin J. Anderson and Rebecca Moesta, his wife, uh, both writing that series. I didn't necessarily say, okay, this is what Kevin wrote, this is what Rebecca wrote and whatnot. But I will say I have plenty of issues with the Coruscant Knights books with Reeves and Bonhoff. Um, those actually are on my just plain crap category, not because I don't like the story, but because of the continuity issues with it. The fact that Reeves, uh, and apparently with Bonhoff for book three, although unofficially, um, he could not get the dates for the prequel trilogy right to save his life. He's got a book taking place mere months after Revenge of the Sith, and he's referring to the Clone Wars as being decades ago, or the events of Shadowhunter that he also wrote being decades ago, and predicates the entire climax of Book 3, using Bota and having it cause basically a bad acid trip for Vader, um, being because the Bota had spoiled over the decades. Well, that'd be great if the MedStar books really were decades ago, not mere months ago. Um, I sort of would say that that falls under disappointment. I expected a solid book with solid continuity, was disappointed to find out that it had bad continuity in it, but the, the bad aspect of it, the way that it damages the climax of the original Coruscant Knights trilogy is so bad that I put it under the just plain crap. I love the writing style, I love the idea of Star Wars detective stories, but what the hell, Reeves? Get your freaking continuity straight, and why didn't someone in the editing process catch that as well? So I'm not sure where to put that. It's not on my top ten, but it's in there among my, you know, crapola pile. Um, I guess number two for me, the one that would be um, another of the ones that probably everybody is expecting me to say, and I will say so, is Dark Times. Dark Times is supposed to be a continuation of Republic, which in and of itself was said to be kind of a continuation of the, the Star Wars ongoing series and whatnot, though in that case they kept the numbering not so much for Dark Times. And after Republic, and as good as that series was, I had high hopes for what Dark Times was going to be. If it really was going to be a continuation of Republic with some of the same characters, I was excited, I was hyped, I wanted to see this. And it was being written by this guy named Mick Harrison. I had no idea who Mick Harrison was at the time. Turns out Mick Harrison is Randy Stradley. 
And I think that gives a, a large amount of credence to why this series still exists. Because it's written by the guy who is the editorial head of the Star Wars line. I doubt he's going to cancel his own flagship series. Um, but this is a series that, you know, it, it perfectly fits the name of the first story arc. The Path to Nowhere. Because it feels like it is a story that just <laughs> goes nowhere. Um, we get the Path to Nowhere, focusing on Das Janir with that that crazy twist at the end that makes you go, holy crap, when a character gets eaten by another character. Um, and in that sense, I kind of thought, okay, Bomo Greenmark is... Uh, in that case, I was like, okay, uh, Bomo is back, Das is back, this could go somewhere, we'll see how it turns out, you know, with them and the crew of the unpronounceable ship, or, ooh, him, the, 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 or whatever. Um, we get parallels, we get vector, we get Blue Harvest, we get Out of the Wilderness, and now we've got Fire Carrier. And it's like the series just has no idea where it's going. Um, here's some stories about Kakrook. It's told in a way that doesn't really make you care about Kakrook. Kakrook, it bores the living crap out of me most of the time. Um, so not all that interested in Parallels, not all that interested in Fire Carrier, kind of dull to me. Uh, the Vector segment is very much like the Vector segment of Rebellion, Barely needed to be there. Vector could actually be just the parts in Knights of the Old Republic and the part in uh, Legacy. Just give it a couple extra scenes and you don't need the other two parts. That fell flat for me. Blue Harvest, rather dull. You know, oh look, it's two gangs fighting each other on a planet we don't care about. They're gangs we don't care about to protect characters we don't care about. Being protected by Das Jinir, who is quickly growing to be a former Jedi character we don't care about. And then we got Out of the Wilderness that played into the supposed relationship forming between Das and Ember, which we kind of assume is supposed to be happening because they're slamming these characters together over and over again. But it takes another character saying, gee, aren't they in love in the story to be like, wait, really? That's what's supposed to be happening? Where else in the story has that been said other than simply the proximity of this male and female character? For me, Dark Times has been a horrible Star Wars comic series, one of the worst we have ever seen. I I agree. It's it's delivery has been terrible. Uh, I I I've seen a lot of potential there, and I think that for me is what's most irritating is when you have so much potential and it just widely missed across the arc. I mean, I I, I am a fan of Crook Crook. I am hoping that his arc does a little bit more. It's not looking like it. I mean, at this point, I think I'd rather see him show up in the books then continue on in the comics because I just, I want more, but the comics are not giving me more. And that's my issue with that. It's like, why now you mentioned vector. I guess I'll just jump into my vector complaint. Uh, great idea. Great concept. Maybe not the best on delivery, but when they were running along in the KOTOR series, they were at a great stride. Art story, everything vector comes along. Great opportunity to start. And they handed it off to, I don't know who, but somebody was doing some Roger Rabbit cartoon drawings in that. And all of a sudden, everybody looked like a character of themselves that you could go down to a carnival and buy from somebody sitting in a stool. Uh, uh, the main girl, I can't even remember her name, but her jaw was like so far out to the left and everything. Zane didn't look like himself. He looked like like just some weird... It, it looked like they cartoonified everybody in that arc. And it was only that arc. It was just like... What were you thinking? It was such a glaring contrast of everything epic and awesome that you were getting at that moment that it made the entire vector line for me drop a level in quality. I was like, are you kidding me? I, I 
I am when I'm in my comics, art is huge. And when you go from one style to another and you've got glorious cover arts, the cover arts for Vector were great. And then you open it up and it was like, what in the heck is this? This is bait and switch. I mean, granted, you're not supposed to buy anything for the cover, but when you're buying comics, you at least kind of want the, the curtain to match the drapes. Yeah, I have to agree. I did not necessarily like the art of the KOTOR part, but at least the KOTOR part felt relevant. You know, the Rebellion part felt only barely relevant. Same thing with the Dark Times part. I mean, there really was very little point to it. You could have added a scene maybe to one or the other of Vector in KOTOR or Legacy, and you wouldn't have even needed the other two. I know the idea was it was supposed to be sort of a cross-through rather than a cross-over. Uh, Celeste Morn and the Mirror Talisman would move between the four different eras, and that would be what connects it all into a crossover. But it really kind of fell flat in those middle segments. I still like Vector, and I like what it does to really be a game-changer in KOTOR and in Legacy. But it felt like it was a pointless exercise in the other two series. Well, yeah, it, it, like you said, the, the middle two could just almost be completely missed. It's almost like Vector impacted them, not so much they impacted Vector, whereas the last two is the opposite. I mean, the, the first one, KOTOR, you, you find out, okay, the Vector story arc has been unleashed. You know, now we know what's out there. And then in the next two, you see kind of because of what happened in KOTOR, it now affecting the story arcs of those comics, I believe, uh, I can't remember his name, Abel, I believe, the clone that Luke finds in the Rebellion series or, or in the Empire series that carries over to Rebellion. We find out his fate. He becomes a rat ghoul. Like, oh, what a waste of a great character. And then from there, we jump to Dark Times where we watch another character turn into a rat ghoul. And then so she's rode out. You're just like, really? I, I believe Cries was her name or something like that. And so, so they were impacted by the Vector aspect of it and then we jump forward and again and we go to legacy and we get to watch how that story wraps up there so it's like really that the first two were the main plot everything else was just kind of needless filler i mean yeah it kind of served to give you some of celeste's ideas but barely all right so number three then for me uh one of the ones that again is probably pretty obvious but probably more obvious if you're someone who listens to republic forces radio network um I was really kind of torn between two different arcs of the Clone Wars to put on this, until I realized that the Gascon arc, the one with the little frog dude, um, the one that includes a sunny day in the void, is not a disappointment aside from the use of a Republic commando in a way that was completely a letdown, um, so much as that was just bad. That was just a horrible, horrible arc. So, with that being put into the just plain crap pile, um, that leaves, of course, the space for Clone Wars in Disappointment to be the Mortis Trilogy. In a lot of ways. They advertise it as the origin of the Force. Was there anything even remotely in those three episodes? Um, Overlords, Altar of Mortis, and Ghosts of Mortis? Was anything in there about the origin of the Force? No. Then we get the first two episodes... And you realize that the whole concept of balance that Lucas has talked about for years in interviews is thrown out the window. Because remember, Lucas's thing about balance was the idea that that it's it's not a, a an equal sides. It's not two Jedi, two Sith is balance. It's not good and evil must be in balance. It's not the Jedi, Dawn of the Jedi type of concept of balance. According to Lucas, balance essentially meant that uh, what is good is natural, or what is natural is doing what is good. The light side is natural, and therefore, when things are in balance, the light side 
is what is dominant. And that the dark side and evil are essentially uh, like a cancer within that natural environment and must be removed. That it's not about, you know, an equal amount of light and dark. It's an amount of light that is not corrupted by dark. And then we get this that completely throws that out the window and says, no, 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 it's actually meaning a, a Taoist-style actual balance. Um, forget all the things that I've said in interviews over the years. Yes, sir, Mr. One Episode Film Saga and then 12 and then 9, but you always plan for 6. Yes, sir. Um, and then, of course, in the episodes themselves, which were really well staged, really cool, really exciting in the first two parts of it, we then get part three, and all the rules from the previous two parts just get thrown out the window. It goes from the idea that the son wants to kill the father to killing the father is the only way to stop the son. And like there's all these different elements in which the character motivations get completely thrown out the window or reshaped so that the third episode doesn't make logical sense with the other two. Unless you come up with some convoluted theory that if the son kills the father, he takes the father's power somehow or something like that. The father kills himself, it somehow makes all three of them vulnerable so that Anakin could then kill the son. Otherwise, the thing that the son has been wanting this entire time is to kill the father and thereby make himself vulnerable to be killed by Anakin, which doesn't make any logical sense with the rest of the episodes. To add punctuation to it, we get the DVD set for that season, for season three. And they advertise The Secrets of Mortis as one of the documentaries on it. And we get a Secrets of Mortis documentary that we can go to. And what it basically is is Dave Filoni sitting there saying, um, yeah, uh, you were expecting to have a Mortis documentary on this DVD or Blu-ray set. At which point you're thinking, isn't that what I'm watching? I just clicked on Secrets of Mortis. He's like, um, but Lucas, see, he doesn't want to tell us any details about that. We're not really allowed to share. So too bad, so sad. Screw you, fanboy. Bye. Really, honestly, that should not have been on the DVD set at all, because all it did was piss people off. All it was was a middle finger to those who wanted to know more about Mortis. So, Salt in the wound. Yeah, so, so in, in so many ways, the Mortis trilogy that had great potential in the Clone Wars cartoon series wound up being a gigantic disappointment. And speaking of potential and disappointments, I mean, I'm going to talk about my favorite series here. My favorite series is the New Jedi Order. But my issue, my disappointment, comes after Destiny's Way. After Destiny's Way, the series just goes... There, I mean, it, all of a sudden, the threat of the Vong has been reduced to nothing. We get out into the Cyric uh, area over there, and I just cannot stand that species as well. It, it's The, the, the trilogy, the Her Force Heretic trilogy, just kind of threw everything off. They try to gather it up with the, the, with the final prophecy... Final Prophecy did all right, but it, it wasn't enough to catch it up. And the Unifying Force, while the ending was pretty good, it was just meh. It had such a great opening all the way up through the middle. It was just such a great, powerful story arc. And then it just felt like they had no idea how to get out. And they kind of set up a precedent for the next few series that came after all the large series almost, that they had have all these great ideas to set up, but they had no exit strategies whatsoever. So the Vong went from being these, these almost can't find them in the force, can't hit them with my ship, they're sucking up my laser beams, they're sucking off my shields to, oh, one torpedo took five of them down, and all of a sudden we just went from such a balance of power shifting, and they tried 
as the series went on to kind of explain it, but it happened so quickly at the end that it just really left no credibility to it. I had a hard time swallowing that at the end of that series for me was the biggest disappointment. And I love that series. My favorite of all. <laughs> so saying that was hard. I don't know. New Jedi Order, it'll be interesting when we finally go back and start, you know, rereading it, whether we're rereading it for this show or if I'm doing it for from the Star Wars library, because it's been a long time since I reread that in great detail. I mean, even when we were putting together those dated battle maps for the uh, essential Atlas, the New Jedi Order stuff was stuff that for the most part was left to Eddie. Uh, Eddie figured out, you know, the, the distance time-wise between each set of books and the duration of each. And then we set it, you know, based on some numbers that I had and developed that into the dates that wound up on those battle maps in the Atlas and all. But even then, I mean, it was basically just checking on a few things that he suggested, skimming over stuff. I wasn't reading it heavily in depth again. So it'd be interesting to go back to that, especially now that we have some other big series to compare it to that are out there. I guess the next one for me, speaking of no freaking exit strategy, um, Karen Travis. I loved her Triple Zero. I loved True Colors. Um, those were great books. Going back, seeing where they were going with it, I really enjoy Hard Contact. The, all the Republic Commando stuff. And then Order 66 that is sort of Republic Commando, sort of not the way that it was billed. Good book, but... She winds up trying to change the dates in-universe for a lot of the stuff happening in Revenge of the Sith, which again is something that when we were working on the Atlas, we had to fix. There were her dates, and there were the dates given for the events of Revenge of the Sith in everything else. And when it came down to it, we had to basically get with Leland Chi and say, hey, um, which are we supposed to go with here? And the decision was, you go with the ones that are in everything else, and Karen Travis's dates go out the window, because she was trying to rewrite something she really wasn't supposed to be doing. But, even with that, I enjoyed Order 66. I enjoy those characters. And then, she is on her way out of Star Wars, thanks to stuff going on with the clones and whatnot, and Mandalore and whatnot, in the Clone Wars cartoon series. And, she has one book still on the way, with a second book in that same series, Imperial Commando, being assumed to be something that some other writer might pick up someday, though that has not happened yet. So I'm expecting Imperial Commando 501st to give us something on par with the Republic Commando stuff, or to give us something that is kind of a wrap-up in some ways to what we otherwise were getting, because maybe with her knowing she's not going to be writing anymore for Star Wars, she might try to wrap up some of the storylines that are left dangling from Republic Commando. Instead, with Imperial Commando 501st, what we get is a book full of the same conversation and the same character thoughts and narrative spinning around in circles over and over and over again. If you take out the repetitive bits, that could have been a short story. And you could have spent a lot more time in novel form delving into the ramifications of some of the events in the short story worth of events that were Imperial Commando 501st. She is someone who did a great job in bringing a lot of depth to certain cultures within Star Wars in her books taking place during the Clone Wars. But with Imperial Commando 501st, she basically weakened her own legacy in Star Wars. She gave us something that was kind of nyeh and repetitive instead of doing something that knocked it out of the park. And she will be now remembered as that being her last Star Wars book. One of the ones that were the least fulfilling, in fact the least fulfilling I would say, out of that entire Republic Commando line. And one of the least fulfilling out of the Clone Wars and immediate post-Clone Wars novels. It just... It, it felt like fan fiction. 
I can see that. I, I remember when that came out, you know, when that book came out, we still were under the pretense that she was going to follow it up. Uh, and it was like, I think maybe a, a month maybe after Imperial Commando 1 came out that we found out, nope, she's done and not coming back. And then it was like, wait, did you know you were going to be done before you finished? Why didn't you give us the conclusions that we were, you know, a lot of people were really upset about that. She she did go back later and, and did on her own, own website uh, frequently asked questions on how she would have ended the book. Uh, things with like uh, Baradan Jusk would have rubbed... Uh, Arlen Fett's memory enabling her to cope with the trauma afterwards. She would have forgotten being Arla Fett or what had happened to her family. She didn't feel the pain of memory. She and Jessica would have then gotten married. Cal Scarada and Dijin Atlas would have teamed up and the Knowles would have helped Atlas fake his death to escape the Empire. Scout would have been adopted by Midge uh, Gillimar and Dr. Uthan, but she would have joined Atlas uh, Altesian Jedi. Scarada and uh, Nareen would marry, as would Gilimar and Uthan. Uh, Maze and Zay, they would have gone off traveling with Altus and Kin Kinaha. Uh, Skarada would have reached some kind of peace with the Kamoans. Uh, and then uh, Dr. Uthan would have perfected the treatment to stop the clone's accelerated aging. Darman would have returned to Mandalore, kidnapped his son Cad, and gone on the run. Niner would have deserted the 501st Legion and joined the clan at Kiramar. Or however you say their little hideout that they had. The Death Watch would have found out about Dread Priest's death at the hands of Gilimar and would have hunted, started hunting the clan. Reed would have turned out to be loyal and not naive, and Skirata would have been forced to kill him to save the others, an act that would have haunted him until his death. Clan Skirata would have been forced to flee Mandalore in their ship or do this strategic disappearance uh, to evade the Empire. Darman would have joined the clan in their disappearance, in their disappearance bringing Cade with them. Interesting aspects, but of course, you know, it never came to be. They have said that the second one is kind of on hold, and, you know, I'm, I'm with you, Nathan. If they just find the right author, I think we, as fans, would be happy to take it. Other books have been canceled, Darth Plagueis, and came back and were pretty epic. So I, I think that they could do something with it if they ever had the right writer. The question is, is who is the right writer? I agree. Uh, what's your next one? Okay, well, continuing where I was going with the New Jedi Order and the lack of really good endings. For me, the next one was the deroguing of Jason Solo. And by that I mean, you know, the New Jedi Order, you know, we lost Anakin Solo. So all of us Solo Jedi fans had to put our faith in Jaina and Jason. Not so bad. You know, they're twins. We, we have some coolness there. Jason starts doing this whole, I'm... I'm something more than a Jedi. I'm evolving into something else. You kind of thinking like, okay, we're going to start to see a new order arise here. Jason's going to be the first of, oh, heck no. Darkness will come along. They'll put a squash to that. No, Jason's turning evil. Wait, what? They won't tell you what happened in that five years, though. Because Jason's turning evil. But we're just going to slowly unveil this in this three-book series. And then next book series, we're really going to mess with you. And for me, that was that was a major turn off like I was really waiting for them to find some reason some noble sacrifice that Jason was making where he was turning himself into a Sith to stop the galaxy from an, uh, a greater evil which almost worked but then by the time we get to apocalypse we find out well everything that Jason set into motion and stopped well we got to set it right again because by Jason stopping it it unleashed Ableth which now is a bigger threat than everything. And uh, just the way they did that was so convoluted. And the best thing about it all, we're going to retcon Vergere and say that she was a Sith all along, but only, only through, through, through Lamaya, the dark lady of the Siths, 
version of events. So we don't even know if that's true or not. We have to take a Sith word on this. I don't like doing that. And it was just such a forced cop-out excuse. Well, we'll just make her a Sith and that this all really, that makes no sense whatsoever. Now I need a story in the past to kind of make sense of it because that didn't fit with pre-established events that were going on. It was like, why, why would you do this? And of course, you know, the big series, they take the hits for this lack of exit strategy. You know, now we're not going to have a nine book series because the last two ended really well. Let's stop and think about that. I love Troy Denning. Star by Star is one of my favorite books ever, but the man is not a good closer. I am sorry, not a good closer at all. But let's go ahead and give him the closing book on the next two series. Let's just go ahead and do that again because, you know, he's doing so well here. So, you know, I, I'm kind of like curious when I get to Crucible how that's going to end because, you know, they gave him a one-shot book. And again, I love his beginnings. I love his middles. But he's never been a strong closer for me. So I, I have a hard time blaming the nine book series because I think maybe if they'd have gave it to Alston, maybe we'd have had a better ending. I don't know. But I did not like the deroguing of Jason. That guy was set to be a really cool character, and they just nutted him. Yeah, I got to say the way that the twins have been handled. I mean, I liked Legacy of the Force, but it wasn't what we expected. It was nothing where... You know, you would not look at the New Jedi Order and then look at Legacy of the Force and say that it felt like there was a through line for Jason and Jaina in that sense, as far as their character growth. Uh, Darkness in and of itself just kind of, of twisted that around and gave us a different direction than it really seemed like we were going in. Which is why, actually, Darkness, eek, creepy bug aliens, the bug slut is there, um... Look, we're going to take the characterizations of so many of the young Jedi and toss them out the window. Yeah, Darkness is on my list of just plain crap at this point. Uh, too bad to wind up being on the, uh, the disappointing list. Here's one that's probably going to piss some people off. On the level of, remember, it's disappointing. Not bad, not disliking per se, but disappointing. I got to put the Phantom Menace on there. Um, we were so hyped up and excited for a new Star Wars film in 1999. I mean, there hadn't been a new Star Wars film, not counting the Ewok telemovies, and since 1983. We got the special editions in 1997, and that just whetted our appetite to see the prequels begin in 1999. So after 16 years, it's a brand new Star Wars film, and it's not quite what we expected. It wasn't as dark as we expected. It had the goofy stupidity of Jar Jar Binks. Well, again, I think Jar Jar works much better in the Clone Wars cartoon series than he ever did in live-action film. Um, they just took him way over the top in Episode One. Mix that in with Jake Lloyd's acting, the introduction of the midichlorians, the fact that the coolest thing about Darth Maul, his double-bladed lightsaber, was revealed in the trailers. Um, you name it. In so many ways... Uh, right down to the Nemoidians talking like bad Japanese dubbed movie characters where their lips don't match even close to what they're saying. In so many ways, Episode 1 was a disappointment. Now, did I watch it a ton when it first came out? Absolutely. Um, I went to see it over and over again. I saw it multiple times just on the first day. Um, I took my mom to go see it because I thought it would be kind of cool because she took me repeatedly to see Return of the Jedi. Now it was my turn to sort of uh, return the favor and take her to see a new Star Wars film, which is a big deal for me at the time. Did I go see it in 3D? Yes. And honestly, um, I think it is much more watchable for whatever reason on Blu-ray right now than it ever was on DVD or even in theaters. So I've watched it more recently than I have in many of the years since it came out in theaters. 
But you can't deny, I don't think, that for Star Wars fans in general, The Phantom Menace was a huge letdown. It was not what we expected, and fandom, in a lot of ways, split over the issue. There are still people Mm -hmm. who, because of The Phantom Menace, have in many ways left Star Wars fandom behind, uh, or at least are very down on Lucas and his brand of Star Wars when he's the guy who dictates or has dictated where the series has gone. If I if I was to go along those lines, I mean, I didn't have it on my list, but thinking about it, for me, it would be episode two. Uh, you know, my my big issue with the prequel trilogy, and, and, it, and I don't have an issue with the prequel trilogy. I enjoyed it. I accepted it for what it was. But my my internal thoughts that I had, you know, those those conceptions that I had going in that they didn't line up. And for me, the Clone Wars was the big thing. Like I, I always envisioned clone on clone, like two Obi-Wans fighting Obi-Wan Kenobi or, you know, Anakin clone fighting Obi-Wan. I was expecting almost everybody in the battle to be cloned. Like it'd be a battle where you're fighting your own clones. That's what I was envisioning. So when it came all out in episode two and it ended you know, the way it ended, it was great when we had that moment of the Clone Wars, but I really was hoping for more Clone Wars at the time. I mean, granted, we later we got the comics, the books, the CV shows, both of them, uh, and that to kind of fill in that gap. But I was really hoping for that. That I wanted those battles. I wanted to see, like, you know, the the panoramic view of, of the little montage of here's a battle, there's a battle, here's a battle, there's a battle. You know, I thought that would have been a cool way to go. So it wasn't what I was expecting at all. That was a little disappointing. But it wasn't enough to throw off the movie. I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed where we ended up going and, and what we ended up getting later. But it wasn't at all what I was expecting. It was a disappointment because I had higher hopes. But I did like where the ride ended up getting us. Uh, you know, speaking of, you know, you mentioned Lucas there, uh, and this is just on one of my list of things. It was, the, you know, Eli mentioned the holiday special. Well, for me, it's not so much that the holiday special sucks because we all that have seen it pretty much say it does. I don't, I haven't yet crossed anybody that said it was good. Uh, but those that have were, were lying to me to get me to watch it. Uh, my issue, though, is how it kind of breaks the canon rules. Like, the way canon works is, well, if it was George, if George created it, then it's canon. It happened. But yet, even George pretends that the holiday special doesn't happen, that it never occurred, that it disappeared. He'd like everyone to forget about that. Which is weird, because it seems like George doesn't say that for anything. Like, he'll commit to any mistake he may make. But when it comes to that one, we're all okay to let him off the hook with that one. It's like, no, 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 George. If we're going to accept everything and every new change you're going to contradict yourself on, then it counts, right? I mean, you know, why why is it that uh, people get so upset that Disney may make a change? They're now the maker. They, they own it. They can do whatever they want. Lucas made that and, and did what he wanted. So I, I have an issue when it comes to the, the, I don't know, the disappointment of the way that we run with the vision. Uh, and by that, I mean not just the fans reading it, but the, the, the powers that tell you, well, now this happened. And because George said this yesterday, well, now we know that this was really what happened. And I don't know. I, I have an issue with that. I mean, it's my number one complaint on my list. It is... It's a story-wise. Ignoring previously established material to make something new. Just make something new, darn it. I mean, my issue is, okay, if you have a planet that's already there and it's got a, a, a diverse background information available to you, you use that information. If you want to do something new, make something new. Don't just take 
and create something new out of something that was old and destroy something in the process. That makes no sense. And that rule that George Lucas, this is the canon rule and whatever I say today it matters. I have a huge issue. That is the, my major disappointment with Star Wars because that makes talking about Star Wars in the huge ever spanning EU and, and the broader story so much more difficult because you have to explain why one man sits there and changes his mind all the time. But that changed mind was originally what was supposed to happen. I mean, if that's the case, then as soon as the dark horse Star Wars comes out or the, I'm sorry, the Star Wars comes out where we get his rough draft, then that should be the Star Wars because that was his original vision and it just came out. So boom, it should trump everything. The rule is just so bunk and, and chaotic that I absolutely hate it. <laughs> and, and I think that it's part of the reason why I'm so much for a multiverse at this point, because I'm just like, you know what? Lucas can't even keep his own continuity straight. So why in the heck should anyone else be expected to? No, Mark. The rocks on Tatooine were always meant to cover up R2-D2 from one angle and not cover him up from the other. <laughs> the, the, the door to Jabba's palace was always meant to be gigantic on the outside, but yet still small on the inside. Didn't you know that? Um, I've been lost in denial. I... Continuing on, uh, my next one, Millennium Falcon, the novel by James Luceno. Um, big disappointment. I like the fact that we have the background of the Millennium Falcon finally set in stone as far as who owned it, when, where did the ship come from, how does it factor into the prequel era since we do see it in the prequels briefly, and that sort of thing. I like the fact that we do have background to it and that it basically became sort of like a mystery novel where they were all kind of searching for this one artifact, and the key to finding it was tying into the Millennium Falcon itself and all. But they play the end of it very much like the Maltese Falcon. The thing that they're looking for turns out it's a fake, and the real one was never there in the first place. So you get this entire huge quest to find this thing, this MacGuffin, and when they finally find it, it's not what it was supposed to be, and you get this amazingly down ending. Um, the ending of that novel is so disappointing that it winds up coloring my view of the entire book, which should have been a great origin story basically for the ship that is the most iconic ship in all of Star Wars, becomes something we look back and go, nyeh, about because the ending sucked. Yeah, you know, that one actually made my list too. Uh, same exact reason. Um, in fact, the another issue I had with the book too is that there were huge events that just happened and they were all flossed over. We got a, a, a very small moment where Han and Leia stop and they think about the fact that their, their sons are dead. And it's like, I don't know to me that was, that could have been half the story right there. Internal monologue dealing with the fact that you have no sons anymore as a, as a father, uh, you know, my first child was a girl. I felt like I still needed to have kids until I had a son. That whole, family tree. Uh, you know, my mom's side of the family, the Davis line ended with her and her brother. Her brother had a son, had a daughter and his wife wasn't able to have any more kids. So the Davis line ended there. I was the only grandson, but I wasn't a Davis. I was a Herleman. So the Davis line ended there. My son's middle name is Davis for that reason. But it's one of those things where, you know, it weighed on me until I had my son. You know, I felt like if I died now, my lines wiped out with me. As soon as my son came, 
I had this sense of relief, like knowing that, you know, I could die tomorrow and that my family line will continue. There'll be somebody to remember me. You know, my line won't just be forgotten about completely. Now, that's something that I would think that Han Solo would think about. I mean, he's somebody that is an orphan himself. I would think that that would weigh on him quite a bit. And they totally, totally forgot about that. They just bypassed it. Same with the New Jedi Order. You have all this crazy Vong forming that happened, and yet we get barely a reference of it in the books. Although, Legacy will go ahead and show you Coruscant still covered with a lot of the vines and all this, and that, you know, yeah, even though it did go away, it didn't go away, go away, and it came back. But... Again, where were these these lasting impacts of these battles, these five-year-long wars and so forth that had a lasting impact on the galaxy? The planet Coruscant has been moved from its orbit. It now has a rainbow bridge. What happened to these references of that? They've all just been forgotten about. I mean, that, that, that's that's my issue with that book was that it was more focused on that chase and the chase turned out to be nothing. That Yeah, it, it, it tarnished the whole book. You're just kind of like, eh, bad taste. There needed to be a scene in there where they wind up finding themselves in a, in a system where there's these dead, frozen-over planets because the star that used to uh, provide all the energy and such for that system is just gone. It's, it's dead. It's gone cold. And they could say, wow, man, this whole system, wow, there's just no sun. Just like you, really, Han, huh? Oh, <laughs> damn! And then have and Han, sure like, punch somebody out. I'm sure he's got some friends like that, too. There's got to be somebody out there that hates him enough. I mean, uh, what was it, the the Volandro guy or something like that? Volandro. <laughs> he hated him. I'm just like, what's wrong, Han? Like too soon. Um, and I just <laughs> uh, something I that I didn't get a chance to comment on a moment ago that I kind of like let slip my mind. Uh, I do have to agree that the um, the the holiday special thing that was garbage. That is on my my list of of stuff that is just crap. Uh, if if only for the fact that we have a scene in which Itchy, Chewbacca's father, is sitting there watching what amounts to virtual reality porn and is getting really, really excited. Um, that when everybody sees it the same, too. Because I thought, okay, mm -hmm. there must be something perverse about me that I'm thinking he's watching porn, but everybody, everybody thinks says the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Alright, so the next one for me is uh, it's actually two parts of a three-part story where the first part I really enjoyed, and the audio dramatization of which has helped, uh, it was something that helped propel me into doing my own Star Wars fan audio dramas for a while, and that is Dark Empire. I love Dark Empire 1. The disappointing parts to me are Dark Empire 2 and Empire's End. We got a great story, I think, with Dark Empire back in 1991 and 1992. Love that six-issue series, the background that it also sets up for stuff that comes up in Tales of the Jedi. The audio dramatization of it is awesome. The moment in which you have uh, uh, the Emperor requiring Luke to choose whether to die or whether to join him, and you have Luke turn off his lightsaber and throw it down, and you hear it clanking as it rolls, and he says, yes. My father's destiny is my own. I love the audio drama. I love the original Dark Empire comic series, despite the crazy, weird purple, blue, and green, and pink artwork that's in it by Cam Kennedy. But then in 94 and 95, they felt the need to continue it with Dark Empire 2, bringing the Emperor back again with Cedrus and these other characters that we don't give one-tenth of one crap about. And then, to top it off, they give us Empire's End in 1995, two more issues to wrap it all up, which again bring back the Emperor. Um, we at least get to see the birth of uh, Anakin Solo in it, 
But then we get this change in the artwork where at least with as weird as the artwork was and the odd styling of it was in Dark Empire 1 and 2, it was consistent. Empire's End throws that out the window for artwork that... It tries to be the same style, but it's kind of like... It's like the difference between if I make some pudding and I lay that out on the table and then I eat some pudding and barf it back up and sit those two side by side, they're both still pudding. But one of them's vomit pudding. Um, you really <laughs> don't want the vomit pudding. And that's kind of what the artwork did in Empire's End relative to in Dark Empire 1 and Dark Empire 2. So for disappointments, I gotta say the second and third parts of the Dark Empire cycle. Even though their audio dramas are terrific, and I do own that Collector's Edition CD set that does have the Empire's End audio drama on there with it. Uh, it is a much better story for Empire's End and Dark Empire 2 when you listen to it as an audio drama because you don't see the art shift. Yeah, I had I had Dark Empire on there for slightly different reasons. The art was one of the reasons that threw me off. I, I'd never really been a fan of that style of art. Story was always good, but for me, that was the part that threw it, was that that series is the odd man out. I mean, you know, it. I don't know. I felt it was never well adapted. Like, yeah, the audio stuff is great. I think most of the really good stuff happened in that. The problem I have is that they're hard to find for one, and everybody references it like everybody has seen it. It's like, okay, give me a book, even if a short story and insider. I don't care. Give me something that puts these events down on paper. You know, I I, I want to have that. I want to have more than just a, a minor reference to it. Because, uh, like I said, I got the comics, but Cam's hardly in the comics. Half the stuff with Cam happened in the audio drama. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? What happened? There's a whole part of this story that it's like, if you didn't catch the audio drama, you have no idea what happened. And, and those gaping holes in it, and the way that, you know, from an EU fan who takes in everything... If you didn't catch all those little things, you're kind of scratching your head going, where is the missing story here? The, the stuff happened between pages that I don't know what's going on. And for book only readers, that's how this whole event was. Because you're like, wait, what? When did Luke turn to the dark side? And then you have to find out, oh, it happened in this comic. And then you're like, the more you find out about it, like Nathan said, oh, well, it wasn't just one comic. It was multiple. And then it was kind of stretched out. It was like, I would love to see them go back and take that story and, you know, the, the whole story there. You know, the audio drama, all the comics, everything, and make a novelization out of it. You know, do a Luke and, and the Shadows of Mendor kind of thing with it and just go to town and give us the events and, and, you know, retcon a little if you have to. I don't care. Make it epic. I want a book of that. That would just be so much better because I really felt like that series, while it, it, it seems from an EU standpoint, it is essential for Luke. It's the odd man out. It's so hard to find. Most people don't. They just kind of read up about what happened in it, and therefore they're kind of not getting the full effect of that story. Along the same lines, uh, another of my big disappointments was Crimson Empire 3, Empire Lost. I was a fan of Kier Kanos versus Carnor Jackson and such back in the original six-issue, plus the Zero Online comic, uh, Crimson Empire series back in 1998. And granted, I was not a big fan of Crimson Empire 2, Council of Blood, when it came out later in 98 through 1999. But then we waited 12 years, with people clamoring for over a decade for Crimson Empire 3. We want to see how it is. We want to see what happens to Kirikanos. Bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. When are you finally going to bring us Crimson Empire 3? Please, 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 please. 
They announce it, and it's a huge deal that they're actually going to make Crimson Empire 3. People get excited. And then we get Crimson Empire 3. And it's, it's not that it was a bad story, per se. It's more just that when you're done reading it, you're like, that's it? That's what we waited 12 years for? That's what people were clamoring for and all excited for? That was kind of fluff and somewhat of a dull kind of story. Crimson Empire, kind of like Dark Empire, I think, probably should have stopped with the first six issues. It should not have gotten to Crimson Empire 2 or 3. But while I could say 2 and 3 are both disappointing, 3 by far is more disappointing. Because just like The Phantom Menace, there was a giant gap of time in which we built up expectations for something that wound up being not up to snuff for what we would have wanted it to be. Yeah, I, I've never been a fan of the Crimson Empire series. The first one, I think the only reason why I really care about it is that they had Naminor in it. And even that was like a, I didn't know that that was Naminor because they didn't either. And then they tied them together later and it was like, a, oh, hey, that's kind of cool moment. I liked it for that. And that was about it. I, I There wasn't much going on. Uh, for me, my next one was The Force Unleashed 1 and 2. And uh, again, I liked the game. Fun game. But my issue was I saw so much story potential there that I really felt they dropped the ball. I, I was so hoping that we were going to find out that Starkiller was a clone of Palpatine or a clone of Anakin, that Palpatine was trying to create a Anakin hollow body for himself or something like that. Something to explain the cloning and when Palpatine starts doing it. I, I mean, we, we know that, that uh, Sabath gets cloned. Uh, and, you know, the template for that was in the Old Republic. So, OK, what happened there? Uh, you know, all the aspects of what was going on with the cloning and Palpatine and how he was gathering that and starting to use it for the Empire. There's no concrete set in stone. This is what happened. There's a lot of, well, this story said that, this story said that, this story said that, this story said that. Now, what do we have? Let's start looking at the whole big picture. here. OK, we got a generalized idea. And that's only happening from the fans. There's nothing... Now, where's my essential guide to cloning? You know, I'm ready for it. And that to me, that story that could have done so much for it. And then when we get there, then they give us the whole aspect of, well, is he a clone or isn't he? And you got to play the game footage and stuff and the extra secret bonuses stuff to find out. Yes, he really is a clone. He did die. And even then they're still being kind of him and hawing about it. They don't want to give you a full on answer. It's like. That bothers me. And that to me was a, a huge missed opportunity there for a lot of really cool stories and a cool set of wrap ups to questions that fans have had for a long time. Oh, man. See, I've got to go the opposite. I love The Force Unleashed 1 and 2. Those are some of my favorites. They're going to be on my top list of Star Wars stories that uh, they've put out there when we discuss that in the future. Um, though I will say, one of the disappointing aspects of it, um, I do find it disappointing that since THQ is gone, they had lost a Star Wars license, and now as a company they're pretty much gone, um, that you can't get the, the Force Unleashed iOS app game anymore. That's disappointing. Uh, the fact that the Wii slash PlayStation 2 slash PSP version of the game was so unpolished relative to the version that we got on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, that would be a disappointment, though that, that was somewhat rectified for the second game. The fact that the first novelization for The Force Unleashed was basically just a glorified walkthrough rather than adding anything really new to it like we got with the second novelization for The Force Unleashed 2 uh, and for the comics, where the comics added some to it, but uh, that first novel really didn't. Um, I do find it disappointing in The Force Unleashed 2 that we get uh, the arguing of Rom Coda 
saying that you can't clone a Jedi, it's impossible. Really? So what do you say about your own apprentice, Fallon Gray, back in Battlefront Elite Squadron being cloned to make X1 and X2? Did you forget about that at some point? Because uh, you do fight I, I alongside still say them. semantics. Uh, I, I, think, I think in his regard, it's like, well, you can clone a body, but you're not cloning a Jedi because a Jedi takes years of dedication, years of trial and error, and then you have to graduate to become a Jedi, and you can't replicate that. Although, in CrossCurrent, we kind of see that replicated mm -hmm. because they were able to take and duplicate everything about the person's memory in that regard. But I, I think that's where he was coming from. It's like, yeah, you're replicating the person and yeah, you're giving them the memories, but it's still not the same person. And so you, you can replicate a Jedi, but you're not getting that Jedi replicated. Exactly. I don't know. I, I was splitting hairs with his, his assumptions. Well, I'm just kind of hoping that it was just him trying to say it to, to boost up the, the Starkiller clones self-esteem. So he wouldn't keep questioning himself. Um, but the fact that we yeah. had to learn that it really was a clone in The Force Unleashed 2, not by playing the game, but by unlocking the little cutscene stuff that you can watch as like a motion comic inside the bonus features was kind of stupid. And it was disappointing that, of course, there's not a The Force Unleashed 3 at this point. So we get an ending of The Force Unleashed 2 that leaves some questions unanswered about where these characters go, how does Vader get free after being captured by the Rebels, etc., etc. So there were some disappointing aspects. But man, I love the Force Unleashed stuff. So I, I got a feeling that'll be one of the things we differ the most on when it comes to our top stuff lists. Nice. Well, and getting to that, the end of two was was an issue for me. But I had an issue with the end of Dark uh, Death Troopers. I again, I love that book, but the end on that, I I don't like those kind of endings. Force Unleashed two and Death Troopers both had open endings where. You know, something you expect to happen does not happen. In the Force Unleashed 2's case, we watched Darth Vader get captured by the Rebellion. And with Death Troopers, we see Han and Chewie have the Falcon stole out from under them. And they're left without their ship. And, you know, great if you plan on following it up immediately or sometime in the next year or two with a follow-up story. I'm 100% okay with that. But we don't. And we don't have any plans to. And... The lack of plans, too, makes me call Poodoo on you who decided that that was a good idea to end it like that. Not a good idea. I, I don't, I'm don't. i not a fan for wide open plot holes that they have no intention of coming back to. Uh, drives me nuts. Which, which gets me to another one of mine, which is the conclusion, the satisfactory conclusion of Star Wars Invasion. Uh, I'm a huge New Jedi Order fan, as I've, I've said multiple times on this episode alone, and I've always wanted to see them go back into that era and flesh it out. The one thing about that era that always drove me nuts was that it was a series, and everyone talked about it like an era. It's like, no, an era would have multiple things going on in it. This only has the one series. All 19 plus books, but it's all the one series. Well, cool. They finally gave us a comic to go into that series. And what do they do? They give us some really cool things going on. Oh, what's this? Finn's mom is a is a, is not his mom. It's his stepmom, and she's actually a Vong. Whoa, she's a shaper. Whoa, there's something growing inside of him. Whoa, what's going on with that? Uh, well, we're done. It's all satisfactory concluded now. You know everything you need to know without the answers. That that I I don't like that. That's not good. Not cool. Not fun. 
it really that one I think is one of my high up there really lists of irritating things because I wanted so many questions. I was just it was just getting to a point where I was starting to really understand where we were going with the series. Because when it first came out, it's like, okay, where is this set? Is this set like before book one, book two, book three? What's going on? A lot of people didn't have any idea. There were a lot of questions. When you have that many questions going on, just of location. And then you add in characters and all the cool character stuff, which adds even more questions of what's going on to the character, which could then impact everything else. Okay. You know, this guy's got something Vaughn growing inside him. Okay. What happens when it hatches? What happens to him? Is he now going to go after all the Jedi around him? I mean, what's going on? How is that going to impact everything else? That is not a satisfactory conclusion. I'm sorry, Stradley. Uh Uh-uh. I call foul. I call BS. Bullsiff. Speaking of satisfactory conclusions and such, and I have to agree, the way that they they ended Invasion was pretty much crap. The fact that they ended it with so many questions unanswered. But the fact that they come out and say, we think it reached a satisfactory conclusion. What? On, on what planet is it a satisfactory conclusion to have a whole bunch of open-ended questions and then just, you know, end it? Just say, oh, yep, we're done after this storyline. Oh, we're not going to produce anymore in the near future. Uh, that's, that's stupid and it's disingenuous to try to claim that was a satisfactory conclusion. I can't imagine anyone for whom that would be considered a satisfactory conclusion. Then again, I'm one of the guys who could say, hey, give us the end of Dark Times with a, a spark remains, leave some questions unanswered, and just freaking end it, and that would be satisfactory to me because it sucks. Um... Speaking, though, of unsatisfactory endings, um, I would say the one of my other disappointing things, I got two left here, one is the end of Marvel's Star Wars series. I've gone back and reread these recently for From the Star Wars Library, which you can find, of course, on YouTube. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with the Marvel series, basically, once you get to issue number 80, that's the last issue set prior to Return of the Jedi, or at least the last one in a bulk set prior to Return of the Jedi. There's one other issue later. It's kind of like a flashback type of issue. Um, But then from 81 to 107, most of that, uh, the vast majority is set after Return of the Jedi. And once we get around the issue 95, uh, no Zeltrons, where Lumaya comes back into play um, and then Duel with the Dark Lady and Escape make up sort of a trilogy of issues there. We find out who Lumaya is and we see the Nagai invasion. We had this whole thing with the Nagai invading the galaxy far, far away and battling against the Alliance of Free Planets, which is what the Rebel Alliance has renamed themselves in that month or so after Return of the Jedi. We see battle after battle after battle. Finally, in issue number 103, we discover that actually it's not just the Nagai versus the Alliance or the Nagai and some of the leftover Imperials under Lumaya against the Alliance. That the Nagai are running from something. The Nagai are fleeing from the Toffs who have oppressed them in their own area of the galaxy. We now know, thanks to the essential acts, the, the companion Besh area. Um, and that really, this is sort of a three-part conflict, that really the Alliance should team up with the Nagai and even some of those remnant Imperials to face off with the Toffs, because the Toffs, these weird green pirate-looking guys, um, as in like, ah kind of pirates, they are the real threat that's out there. They reveal the Toffs as the threat in issue number 103. The series ends in issue 107. You get this this multi-part story that runs basically from 104 to 106. Nagais and Dolls, the party's over in My Hiromi with a, a race that is more annoying than Jar Jar, um, but are, that all act like little Jar Jars. And then 107 is set shortly after 106, 
And all of a sudden, Luke is like a buffed up Fabio looking type of guy. Yeah, like, I can't believe it's not butter kind of thing. <laughs> um, he's at this giant freaking cannon. If they hadn't said his name was Luke, I would have no idea that that was Luke. He's at this long blonde hair. Um, and we get a final confrontation in which they're able to take down the leader of the Toffs and in doing so in the Toff invasion, in this Nagai Toff war, in the Nagai versus Alliance war, blah, blah, blah. They wrap up everything incredibly fast because at that point you're getting into 1986 and they had shifted at that point from the Star Wars series being a regular monthly series to being bi-monthly with some of the Star Comics, Ewoks, and Droid stuff being inserted into those off months. And it just kind of fades away. Great potential in those last few stories, but then it's like they say, oh, by the way, you guys are dead in a few issues. You need to wrap this stuff up. And we get very little indication that everything is wrapping up until you actually get to 107 where it says last issue on the cover, um, and it just kind of stops. Uh, big disappointment to me. I like Nagai top stuff. I like the Nagai. Uh, I like Knife and some of these other Nagai characters and how they develop over time. But the fact that they had to wrap it up so quickly made the last story arcs of the Marvel series turn out to be disappointing when you think about what it could have been versus what it actually was. Yeah, and that, I, I've never been a fan of a quick wrap-up. I mean, you know... When I'm reading a book and I'm getting close to the end and I'm like, oh, my gosh, how is this going to end? And you're just like, it's going to it's going to come up quick. And you're looking at it, you got like less than two pages and you're like, how could this possibly end? This can't possibly end well. And, you know, sometimes they'll get it right. Most of the times you feel forced. I, I, I'm not a fan of the forced. Uh, and my next one is kind of forced is uh, the multiple versions of the Clone Wars. You know, that that is a huge disappointment to me. Uh, you know, Marvel had very limited take on it. You know, they 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 were kind of more references to the event of the Clone Wars. Then you have the comics doing their thing, which they had a great run, some really good series, uh, some great stories, great characters introduced, stuff like that. Uh, we had Alpha, which was uh, the clone that was assigned to Anakin and Obi Wan. Um, but then we have Gendy's series come along, and then Alpha's gone, which is okay. You know, that's fine. But then Lucas, after getting all this credit and all this great stuff, because we did the Gendy series Samurai Jack because Lucas was a big fan of Samurai Jack. So we did that and he got all that and all the, hey, Lucas is doing these little shorts. All right. Yeah. All that hype. Then he decides to do the Clone Wars and do it all over again. And even to this point, we still we, we finally th and, and thank you to those that did it. And you can find the list of all the episodes of the Clone Wars in order now on the Star Wars report. Thanks to Nathan. But we got those in order, but we still don't know how the comics and both the TV series line up. There is no idea. That bothers me. That gets back to that one issue I had about, you know, if you have previous established stuff, use it. Don't let it just sit there and be wasted. I, to me, that's that's just idiotic. Like, if you're going to build something, right? I mean, wouldn't you think like, hey... I could build this whole engine, but look, there's one sitting right here, and it's even got the logo of my company on it. I could slap it in here and save myself five days worth of work and have this thing racing and trick it out even better. No, let's just let's just build the whole engine from scratch, and 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 we'll take some of the parts and ideas off of this, and we'll 
duplicate it, but we're going to do something totally different. But hey, at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to race it because we had to we had to end the show a little early. So we don't have an outside to the race car. It's just a, a frame with no tires. But hey, it could go really fast if we were to ever finish it. Maybe someday we'll give you that bonus content so you can race this bad boy. I don't know. I, I have a real issue with that. And and what that has created, you know, this this convoluted setup that we have where we've got these events that could tie together, but don't quite. And I, I, that's, you know, that's a timeless tale for me as, a, as an EU fan, that that aspect of the Lucas rule of this now trumps that. And we're all going to put all our eggs in today's basket until today becomes tomorrow. And we're now in a new basket, but we got to wait till he tells us. I mean, granted, that's one of the, the absolute cool things about Disney now owning it is that that formula could be thrown out the window. I say could be because I highly doubt they're going to. They're going to continue like every company that does a transition. They're going to run smooth sailing the way Lucas did it for at least a couple years. And then maybe then they'll start to adjust those rules. But these scenarios that come up with that and the lack of using the materials that are there just drive me up a wall. It disappoints me on so many levels. Yeah, I would almost say that the way that I would put my disappointment in that is less that there is now this mess that they have to go through and fix because that's kind of inevitable anytime that Lucas creates something new that he tosses into an era with already established continuity. I expect that to be what happens when they dash things aside with the sequel trilogy and whatnot based on Lucas's outlines that he provided to Disney. But what disappoints me about it is the fact that Lucas would say, no, I don't plan on telling any stories set in the Clone Wars or anything like that. You, Dark Horse, uh, uh, Del Rey, have at it. Enjoy yourselves. Create your own version of the Clone Wars and such, because I'm not telling it. My films are about Anakin. It's the beginning and the end, uh, so have at it. And then to turn around and say, after that's already in place, saying, yeah, I actually think I kind of want to make a Clone Wars TV series, so screw you all. And then he goes and creates something that winds up dashing aside a lot of stuff that was already there. At least some stories aren't going to survive that transition. I do think now, though, that hopefully in the near future we should see something coming as far as how things are meant to fit together. I'm not saying that with any insider knowledge or anything like that. I'm just, you know, I know that Leland Chi has certainly been hopefully. looking at this in the past, and now that we have a finalized order of Clone Wars episodes minus that bonus material, surely at some point, you know, there'll be a sense of how things are meant to fit together. Although... With the Rebels cartoon series having just been announced for 2014, I'm still crossing my fingers that they're just going to say, you know what, the Clone Wars cartoon series, the movies, both old and new, plus Rebels, that's all one continuity, and uh, the EU as it exists right now, along with the classic trilogy and prequel films, that's all one continuity. Yes, we'd have to make room for the few references that there are in modern EU things to the Clone Wars cartoon series, but there's not really all that much. Easily excised, and then you've got two separate universes, each of which is mostly uh, consistent with itself without that big Clone Wars era clash. Um, uh, my last thing under disappointments would have to be Connect Star Wars. Um, don't get me wrong, I actually like playing Connect Star Wars. Now that it is the uh, the summertime for me, summer break for me, I'm going to be playing it and some other Connect games a lot more. Um, playing them during the day when there's plenty of light coming into that room and such so that it's uh, easier to scan me and everything using the Kinect with the Xbox 360. Um, I was kind of excited for this, saw the early reviews, and they were pretty disappointing. I still went out and bought that limited edition R2-D2 Xbox 360 that has the C-3PO controller and all to play Kinect Star Wars and just a couple other exclusives I wanted to play like Alan Wake. 
And, you know, it's a fun game to play. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't live up to its promise. The Rancor Rampage is all right. Pond Racing actually plays fairly well. The Galactic Dance-Off part with I'm Han Solo, I'm Han Solo, Solo, and all that stuff. That's actually pretty fun, even though it is goofy and it causes people to pull their hair out about, this can't be continuity. No kidding. It's not. Get over it. Next. Um, the, the Jedi Destiny mode is kind of frustrating, given the fact that it's supposed to be set. Um, I, just the way that it's set up, it's as if they're participating in the Battle of Coruscant, but it's not really the Battle of Coruscant. It's prior to the Clone Wars, but it acts like it's part of the Clone Wars. Um, and oh, by the way, here's these two Darth Maul-looking guys running around, though I guess now they can just say they were Knight Brothers, blah, 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 blah. It has its issues, but it is fun to play. And aside from the, the Force Unleashed release for Force Unleashed 1 on the Wii, it's the closest we really get to having the ability to act like a Jedi and have our motions and such, rather than just a controller, control that type of character. Um, I'm hoping that the new connect with the Xbox One, which some people were calling the 720 at one point, is now called the Xbox One, it's, now that it's been officially announced, um, will give us a better chance to have something with solid Jedi experiences that way. Um, as fun as it is, though, not nearly as cool looking as the trailers made it out to be, as the potential of it uh, had made it out to be, nor as the original screen footage we saw of test stuff. I can still remember it. It was the Jedi there dashing forward, fighting stormtroopers that are landing off of a gunship and such. Um, it just didn't wind up being as cool as it was made out to be. And as far as disappointments go, that has to fall into that category. So, fun, but disappointing. Now, my next one is a potential. Um, I was disappointed because of potential missed. Uh, and this is the book series Rebel Force. Uh, the book is Target, the first one, at chapter 18, and this is page 146. It should have ended with Leia while she is screaming Luke. She screams Luke once as a question. She's like, Luke! And then she screams, Luke! Because Luke was flying in a pod racer, and it ends up crashing, and while the pod goes up into the air, you watch his lifeless-looking body come plummeting down, and then the entire thing, like, explodes. And you're just like, Whoa! That would have been a great spot to end that book. You'd have thought Luke died. It would have ended with Luke dying. You'd have been like, whoa. But no, they continue to give you, in that chapter, he's not dead. They give you all the out. Then they go on from there for another chapter or so to continue the book on and then end it. I really think they could have done so much more if they would have left it as a cliffhanger like that. Because I, I, I really think, you know, that was one of the things about the New Jedi Order that I loved the most was that when Chewie died in book one, Everyone was threatened. Everyone could die now. It was like, oh my gosh. And I remember up until that series finally got over, you know, we had to hear from Lucas again that now the big three are untouchable. And then we were like, okay, we got our big, our big fleet, our big three fleeces back on. We're good. We got King's X again. And that moment of everything's up in the air was gone. That, that, that moment of like my character could die, you know, you get to those moments in the books and you're like, okay, well, I know that they're going to be okay because Lucas is sad. Leia's not going to die. Han's not going to die. All right. Yeah. They did a good job of faking me out there, mm -hmm, but I know they're not going to die. So if you know, they're not going to die in that regard, I would take every opportunity I can to trick the reader. And that was such a perfect moment. Cause when I got to that moment, I was like, Oh, Oh, what a perfect place to end it. And it wasn't the end. But if it would have been, oh, what a better story it would have been. I was so disappointed. 
All right. The other one I had here was Prelude to Rebellion. We we just covered it. And the main reason why I even threw it on there was because we just covered it. Because when I first got into reading the comics, this was already out. Uh, we were almost, I think, like in the 40s or something like that of that series. KOTOR itself was in the 30s or somewhere along that line. So I didn't realize that this was, you know, A, the beginning of the new Star Wars series of comics and how much was writing on it, plus it being a lead into episode one. All of that was missed on me when I read it. I just was like, eh, it's a meh story in a meh. Okay, whatever. But now looking back on it and how much was hanging on this success, that was a disappointment all the way around. I mean, imagine if they would have just taken that and said, we're done. It was a, it was a failure. I mean, no interest. No one cared. Uh, luckily, that was and that launched one of the largest story series that we have right now in the fact that Star Wars became Republic, which then became Dark Times, which now is doing its thing. I don't know. It's just one of those long and convoluted things. But when we talked about the episode, it made me realize that there was a lot hanging on the success of that. And looking back on it, it was not successful at all. I mean, I, I really think Prelude to the Rebellion is is a really a bad example of, of a way to start a series. Like I could see that maybe, you know, two or three arcs in having a story that bad, but I wouldn't want to start a series that bad again, ever. Yeah. It definitely didn't excite at the beginning. It really took um, Outlander, the second story arc to really get me to care about much of the characters. Kiati Money just was never one that was all that easy to relate to. He just seemed kind of as a standoffish character in the way he was presented. Another one I had, which I guess could fall under the end of the New Jedi Order, but we didn't really find out about it until, I think, Dark Nest. The fact that Lumpawaru, a.k.a. Waru, did not uphold his father's life debt stabs me through the heart, man. I mean, it's it's one of those that drives me so up a wall. It, it, they, they, they treat it like a joke. I, I remember, I think it was in Dark Nest where there was a joke made about it. And it was like, that, that's not something you would joke about. It, it's right up there with, with Chewie standing in Yavin 4 not getting an award for being on the ship that helped shoot Vader off of the guy that blew up the Death Star. I mean, come on now. Han gets an award. Why doesn't Chewie? Same scenario here for me. Why is Chewie's life debt not being picked up? It, it's been well established that that that's what Wookiees do. I have a life debt to this family. I die. Okay, uh, I will take over the life debt for you. I mean, I can forgive them killing Chewbacca, but the lack of the bodyguard aspect. I mean, Leia had her Nagri. You know, that Chewie was always there. And if Chewie needed backup, he would call on family. That, that to me, is something that is kind of, I don't know, synonymous with being a solo from what I have come to see in the EU. And so losing that just never sat well with me. Like, I, I don't know. Like, if I was Chewbacca, I'd be like, Waru, why aren't you not there, Waru? Why are you not there? Han is in trouble. Like, I, I don't know. It just, it was something I was expecting. And the fact that they just wrote it off like a joke, it was like some writer forgot that Chewie was there at all and what a life debt was even about. And so they're just like, well, we've gone three books without mentioning it. So let's just write it off. Yeah, he never did wind up getting a chance to really be a character that had any real prominence. I mean, the few times he does show up, it's all kind of in passing or for a bit part, to be honest with you. It's almost as though... You know, now that Chewie is dead, his whole family has ceased to exist with him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no trips to Kashyyyk, nothing. I mean, Han was ingrated into the society. I mean, he was, like, accepted. He could walk around on the streets or the trees up there and no one would say anything. 
and now he doesn't ever go back. And the, and the closest we have was his son burning the heck out of the planet. I mean, come on, that is not nice. <laughs> the other one for me, though, and I felt like I had to mention it because it, it is the one book series that I tell people to avoid because I just couldn't handle it, is the Bounty Hunter trilogy. Uh, and I can't recall which book it was, but there was a scene inside Slave One where Boba Fett's ladder going up to the cockpit gets destroyed. And then in like the next page, he needs to get up in the cockpit. And so he runs right up the ladder that a scene before was gone. And I just remember like that whole trilogy felt that way. Like the writer did not know what in the heck he had wrote. Like the book must have been written or the three books were written over such a long period of time that he forgot major plot points along the way and just started changing things because I felt so out in what was going on in that book series. And, and, and again, I go back to that one scene, that one scene, by, by the time I got there, I was like, okay, that's it. I am done. I don't want to read another book. This guy writes, but I remember being at that point where I was like, okay, well, I want to be able to say I read all my books. So, and I read through it anyway and just suffered through that book series. I could not stand it. It was such a disappointment all the way around. I was looking forward to a really cool Boba Fett book. I got a mediocre Boba Fett book, uh, you know, balance sheet and, and the spider weaver thing was just like a little weird. And uh, okay, I could kind of get around it, but after a while, it was just like quad of quad. I, I could care less. There was a lot of care less in that book series. It just not at all st stuff I enjoyed. Yeah, it's certainly one that generally seems to have fallen flat with a lot of fans. I need to actually go back and reread it at some point because I just, I barely remember anything from it. I mean, it's just basic plot points. Uh, my last mention is Waru. The anti-force being. Uh, Nobody likes Waru. He was a slab of gelatin meat of some sort and was just a really bad character with a really bad plot. But they may have done something with it if they'd ever gone back and revisited the plot. But no, they left it wide open. They're like, let's not deal with alternate dimensions. That's a little too Star Trek. Well, you did. And you gave us Waru or Waru or whatever the heck he's called. The lab of slab of jello meat. Oh. Gosh, what a poor character and a poor villain. I mean, that that, that was the big bad. Uh, that was a time of dark times for EU fans. When, when books like that, the Crystal Star and all that stuff come out, it was like, are you kidding me? This is what we've got to look forward to. Amen. I guess that's a good time to bring in my, the, the last few things on my list of stuff that was just crap. So it didn't rate uh, being disappointments because there weren't a lot of high hopes. Anyway, uh, the Crystal Star is on there certainly a book that uh, that winds up you kind know, of playing out as just crap there's just so many elements of that book that don't work including waru the anti-force being that somehow has like a whole weird dimension on the inside he's almost like a living well i guess the tardis is i was gonna say a living tardis but i guess tardises are alive uh he was bigger <laughs> on the inside apparently when he sucked in luke and the others um also on my list of just crap tatooine ghost ruins of dantooine Tales from Mos Eisley, the comic, not the Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina anthology, and the Ewok cartoon series, especially season two. Um, but that's all stuff that uh, can be dealt with uh, some other time, perhaps, when uh, we don't already have a show so filled with, uh, with negativity, which I guess is sort of a point of this one, in a sense, uh, that uh, surely it will get some people to label us Talifans and whatnot. <laughs> yeah and and keep in mind next week you will be hearing the more lighter side of our opinions here as we focus on the things that we really enjoyed our favorite moments the top 10 of those
Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you guys once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's like our home one. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or you just have a comment about a past episode, fire off. You can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com just to see what they're all about. With more than 100,000 titles, you can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out didn't like. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the screen, or like us, thinking about taking and having a whole new digital library to add to your collection, Audible.com just might be right for you. Once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. That we'll have people griping about the uh, tenor of this episode without listening to the rest of the series and think we're just down on Star Wars. Or the odds that the next five years are going to produce nothing but absolute smash epic hits in the Star Wars EU. We won't have anything to complain about next time. the other one called? I did it again. I always forget what the other one is called. Questions of what's going on to the character, which could then ramification, which could then impact everything else. Okay. You know, this guy's got something bomb growing inside him. Okay. What happens when it hatches? I can get my computer to stop jumping. Whistler, kill it. Just kill it for me. You didn't kill it fast enough, but you did do a good job. Oh, I love it when a droid comes together.